19 minutes it is before 8 p.m. And uh, you tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on uh, Metro FM. We now go into our business wrap. And I'm joined on the line by Head of Trading at Merit Securities. And that's uh, Pinda Mangoloti. Pinda, unjani phone ni ngalenji galang. Uh, certainly one uh, man who uh, might be uh, feeling as well as is uh, the man in that uh, witness box at the Zondo Commission and of course at the PIC Commission as well. Uh, as we start, Pinda, let's maybe get uh, some of your insights, of course, on uh, the showing of uh, Dr. Dan Machila earlier on today at the PIC Commission, talking about some of these deals, SNS Refinery, Steinhoff, uh, not Lancaster, and uh, I guess um, by uh, the suggestions of many, uh, I guess running rings around the uh, commission there, of course, and uh, not uh, revealing much, much like what is happening at the Zondo Commission. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Um, I guess, um, you know, he, I, I don't think there's much now that uh, Dr. Den can, uh, can share that we, we do not know. Uh, but then again, I mean, like, it is the commission. Up until it finishes, I mean, like, he is required to be there uh, and face those questions. And uh, every little detail that does come out of that, uh, we'll be waiting for it, you know, with uh, with greater breath, uh, as it uh, it gives us uh, more clarity um, in terms of um, in terms of uh, how the PIC in what in, in internal dealings uh, have been going on over the years. Uh, since he won, um come to know the PIC and also work with the PIC. Mm-hmm. Well, wh- what do you make, uh, Pinda, w- when we think about that, of course, uh, in line with the PIC, of the GEPF, Government Employee Pension Fund, uh, which is uh, one of the PIC's largest clients there and uh, handles the pensions of many of those working in the public service. They've decided now, and uh, of course it's not, not anything new, but uh, much firmer, of course, in their decision now to invest more of... Uh, uh, they are two trillion uh, in assets under management outside of the country. They've uh, flagged this before, I guess, through the executive principle to say uh, they're heavily exposed to many uh, entities and firms and investees that uh, are domiciled here in South Africa, and that uh, that presents some form of a risk for their portfolio when it comes to uh, issues of diversification. And uh, now looking for investment uh, opportunities outside of the country. Um, not just risk in terms of uh, in terms of. Um, concentration, you know, within within one geography, right? and also the performance um, um, of uh, you know of the GEPF, right? especially um, if you look at the last the, the last five years or so. I'm just going to quote a couple of figures here uh, that I have in front of me. Uh, for example, um, one year GEPF, um, the fund outperformed um, inflation, um, which again, when everybody. Certainly, they, they do outperform that. But if you look at the benchmark, they underperform badly. Uh, if you look at a three-year period, uh, you compare that to the, to the benchmark, they've retained about 5.71%. Benchmark is well above that. Right? And only on a five-year period um, where they've performed their benchmark, where they've re- the, the, the GEPF fund retained 9.21% versus the, the benchmark of 6.7%. Right, so I mean, like, if you if 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 one so like only starting to hear about this now, um, I guess you you haven't been really close to um, the you know the, the the current debate locally, especially mm. when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, money managers, specifically um, asking questions in terms of is your pension really um, retaining or giving you the returns that you deserve, right, especially given that. Um, the the JSC or share over the past ten years really hasn't done much 
Um, but if you compare that to overseas markets, uh, those markets have been returning really good returns. Uh, and also the fact that if you look at SA economic growth compared to other regions, um, I mean, it, it really does make sense for one to actually try and capture that um, that outperformance or alpha in, in overseas. Mm, however, mm. yeah. However, for me, the the the, the biggest stumbling block uh, for the GEPF uh, has got to be Regulation 28 um, of the Pension Fund Act. Just, just tell us a bit more about Regulation 28. I mean, uh, what does it, uh, I guess, um, regulate, and more importantly, what kind of injunctions does it provide for pension funds and where they can invest? Yeah, basically, Regulation 28 um, of the Pension Fund Act, you know, basically the, the, the amendment, I think, which was um, back in 20, 2011, 2012, uh, what it does, basically, it, um, it, 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 it limits in terms of um, asset classes right, and also regions as to where your retirement fund can be invested. Currently, um, the, 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 the Reg 28 requires that um, 75% maximum exposure into equities, um, listed property about 25%, and then offshore um, 30%, which is the maximum. Uh, and again, that 30% was only revised, I think, last year, where before that it was around about, uh, it was around about um, what, 25%. So there was a gradual increment, I think it was announced in the, um, in the budget, and also hedge funds. Uh, and you can only, um, retirement funds can only invest a maximum of 10%. Uh, so the, the contentious issue, like I said, is, is then within that 80%. There's a lot more of alpha that managers can actually get offshore. But then you understand as to why we would have um, such a regulation, because what it does is it does protect um, the, the, the pensioners. At the end of mm. the day, the GEPF and also um, the PIC, the asset manager, they need to balance the, the risk between the assets and liabilities. Uh, you cannot now go or willy-nilly um, have 100% exposure uh, into offshore assets and then let's say a Greece type of event happens and then pensioners, they happen to then lose a lot of money. Uh, so hence these um, restrictions are in place. But like I said, I mean, like it is it is a, a debate locally yes. um, that's making rounds. Uh, and because of Reg 28, um, as much as the GEPF has sort of like you know, put their intentions forward. Mm. Uh, it will take a lot longer to have Reg 28 change such that we then have these limits up. So, 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 so Pinda, I mean, if, if I get you uh, correctly here, you are saying that even if they do undertake this uh, move to try and invest more outside of the country, there, there really isn't much space to maneuver in the current Regulation 28. And, and uh, if they wanted to do more of that, uh, they would only be able to do so if there were amendments uh, to that uh, particular regulation. Uh, simply put, uh, mm. because like I said, I mean, like it, it regulates pension funds or retirement funds. So mm. uh, as I said, we cannot now all willy-nilly go and have exposure uh, 50% into Africa uh, or 50% into, into the U.S. Mm. Uh, they, we need to stick within those guidelines. And if that doesn't change, um, unfortunately, we're still going to be stuck with this, uh, with this um, sure. 30% um, offshore. And even if you look at the... Um, the, the, the last annual statement that we got from the GEPF, um, the, the PIC and other asset managers, in terms of their offshore um, allocation, they actually did, invest, did not invest to the full um, allowable maximum mm. um, of, uh, of 30%. I think it was slightly under, um, under that. 
But uh, again, like I said, it's uh, you know it comes down to um, you know the the I, I don't we don't even have a leeway where we could be overexposed. Sure. Again, it comes back to we have rules we have to um, stick to uh, the GEPF okay. uh, on behalf of its members. They have to stick to their liability, uh, assets and liabilities. Hmm. Sounds like a very interesting case of prescribed assets, Pinda, and maybe class Pinda's of YouTuber. Ngolunyosugu will come back to that issue of prescribed assets and what that looks like and whether or not Regulation 28 is some kind of prescribed assets. But let's pause there slightly and take a brief break. And when we come back, I want us to take a look at the ship that Stephen Van Collo is trying to steady here. And a probe coming out earlier on today, flagging suspicious transactions to the tune of 1.2 billion rand. And we'll also take a look at... I guess uh, some of the pay packets of uh, South Africa's CEOs, least of all those of the listed companies who are receiving an average salary of 5.4 million rand a year. I certainly know I, there's a lot of things I could do with that 5.4 million. Indeed, and nine minutes it is now before uh, 8 p.m. And I uh, continue my conversation as part of our business wrap with Head of Trading at Merit Securities, Pinda Mangolotti. And uh, Pinda, before we went to the break, we were talking about the GEPF and some of their investments. Uh, let's shift maybe swiftly along here to uh, a report coming out of uh, uh, PwC, uh, the Executive Remuneration Report, and uh, suggesting that South African CEOs, on average, earn 5.4 million rand uh, a year, and that was for the last financial year, which is an increase of around 200,000 rand around four percentage points uh, for the past year. And uh, maybe the first question that I would have with a report like this is, uh, is this the cash wage or does this include uh, things like share options? Because we do know that many of these CEOs are not only paid in cash, but also paid um, uh, in shares and all manner of other incentives. Uh, it is pure salary, uh, which would exclude any, um, any uh, let's say, incentives course, and yeah. also... Um, exclude the what um, what the retirement medical aid and so mm. forth and so on. So this is a base. This is a base salary. Um, look, if you if you put it like um, you know an increase of two hundred thousand. I mean, like that does raise hair, right? And uh, and and eyes and ears. So as it, it should. However, if you look at it percentage wise, four percent, four percent. That's literally run about CPI. Aye, pinda, pinda, pinda. Four percent of five million. I got fine in four percent of like ten thousand. It's not the same thing. <laughs> it's not the I same mean, thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I am well aware of that. Mm. Right? So basically, what, what, what I was trying to say here is, um, there's a difference. It, 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 it certainly gives a different ring to it yes. when you talk about two hundred thousand sure, rand sure. and say four percent. Four percent single digit lower down. Uh, the delicate. CPI, CPI is well above that. So basically, these CEOs, um, literally their their salaries, uh, specifically uh, for the past financial year, um, they increased below CPI. Mm. But there is, um, for me, there is then a distinction um, because most of these, and it is an international practice, is that these salaries, um, whether you include bonuses or incentives or vested shares and whatnot, whatnot those need to be tied to the performance of a particular company. Mm. All right? And the beauty about this is these are listed companies. So you and I and my next sure. neighbor, right, we can see how the companies did over the last mm. year. Right? Mm. And then you would you would then um, judge whether the, the CEO's remuneration yeah. right, is in line with the performance of the company. Okay. I mean, let, let, let's, let's use two relevant examples right now. Um, let's, uh, let's use Peter Moyle. 
Mm. Um, where um, he was brought in an old mutual in, um, to handle two things. One, to split the African and offshore. Mm, that managed separation, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And also seeing the listing, overseeing the listing of that. And then he's done that. And for that, he was rewarded quite handsomely, I think about 50 million rand plus. Uh, so basically, there was a specific target set by the company mm. uh, for him to get that. I uh, Same goes for um, Bob Van Dyke, uh, CEO of Nespers. Yes. yes, this number is going to be obscene, 1.5 billion uh, in total, which includes, uh, which includes bonuses, shares. Mm. Um, vested options and all of those things. But if you look at what NASPERS did over the, the, the very same financial period, the company delivered growth of revenue growth of 25%. Uh, so if you look at those two things, then you, you sort of like comparing apples and apples here that this um, CEO has actually delivered uh, in terms of the stated um, targets by the particular company. Hmm. So, so pinned up. I mean, I guess there, there would be numerous other examples of, of where some of those things haven't materialized. I mean, one of those I think about often is uh, the bonuses that were paid out uh, to uh, some of the ex-CEOs at uh, Omnia, only to find that uh, uh, I guess the share price uh, was a spectacular collapse. But uh, we can have that debate. But the other thing I want us maybe to consider is, uh, you know, uh, these numbers, I guess, uh, are much more helpful if we take them and we compare them to uh, uh, as many nations across the world do, the UK, the US, and uh, I've heard even China does something similar now. And we compare it to, I guess, the median wage of somebody who works in the same firm or, or the average salary of uh, those people. And uh, it seems much like everything else here in South Africa that uh, that firm level inequality continues to rise and uh, is uh, potentially, of course, in pole position across the world. Yeah, that is correct. I mean, if you... Um, as I said um, in the beginning, so this is more of a international practice. Mm. Remember, if uh, I guess the, the one disadvantage in terms of if we were to then um, cry that um, Aya's salary as a CEO um, of X, Y, and Z company, a listed company, that it is it is too high. So therefore, we as a board, we decide that we're going to pay you X, which is well below the the the, the global average. Mm. Then we stand to lose a lot of. Um, a lot of skill um, that Aya and the likes would bring uh, to the, um, you know, to to the table uh, in terms of, in terms of running these companies. I mean, there's there's a story that we're going to talk about after this one, where literally um, a CEO is brought in to 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 rescue a particular mm. company, uh, and for that, as I've said, I mean, making the two examples, and for that, come um, uh, what CEOs um, are remunerated um, quite handsomely, uh, and also it is an open process. Uh, where where um, where you would you would see now the company, uh, let's say over FY18, mm. they would have as part of their AGM agenda, they would have a remuneration package which yes. voted. And, and Pinda, I'd, I'd like us to talk about that briefly, because I think if you yeah. look at here in South Africa, to maybe some of the major institutional managers, the likes of the Alan Grays, the PICs, uh, the coronations of the world, more and more than at any other time we've seen here in South Africa, we've seen votes against remuneration policy uh, in uh, major companies. So already even some of the investors are complaining about, yeah, yeah, well, look, that, that, that actually has been a, a a rising trend. Mm. And I think from where I'm sitting, again, it is something that's, uh, that's welcomed uh, because now there's a, there's a rise of activist investors, activist asset, manager, activist asset managers who um, do oppose these, yes. uh, at, at these AGMs because, as I've said, if, uh, as I've said certain companies uh, over the last couple of years 
haven't done well. Mm. I mean, like even 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 if you look, if you look at the JSC returns last year, without taking without taking specific companies, uh, those companies have not done well. So therefore, uh, they the one will find it very difficult to to justify as to why a, a, a package would need to be voted uh, or would, would, um, there would be an increase in that. And, and, and also from an ESG point of view, uh, there is, uh, there's companies like uh, 274 Asset Managers who actually keep records of, uh, of uh, AGM voting um, and also they, they, they do sort of have proxies in terms of voting on behalf of, uh, of the, of the what, shareholders that they, that they manage money um, mm. on behalf. Uh, where, where literally they go into those meetings and if a, a pay package um, is obscene um, relative to what the company has been achieving over mm. the last couple of years, uh, they will definitely vote against sure, it. And sure. as you said, you know, we've seen the rise of that and it is a welcome, it is definitely a welcome, um, what, um, uh, let's call it development locally. Uh, hopefully mm. it will continue. Okay. Uh, as you said, all of these they need to be linked to the performance of the company. Yeah, yeah. Now, now the other dimension, I guess, is uh, it certainly has to do with, uh, of course, uh, what's happening at EOH, uh, a black-owned tech company here, which uh, has certainly been seen by many as uh, one of the corporate champions uh, in the post-apartheid period. And uh, we saw Microsoft switching the plugs and uh, saying, hey, Nina, we've had a whistleblower coming to us here in the United States and flagging one of the tenders that you were involved in at the Department of Defense. And it seems now that uh, they then commissioned a uh, forensic probe here by PwC. They found suspicious transactions uh, to the tune of 1.2 billion rand. And uh, this, of course, as Stephen Van Collar announced earlier on today. And, and I'm quite interested, uh, uh, Pinda, in finding out that most of these contracts are within EOH Mtombo. And I'm not too sure what EOH Mtombo is. I know it's a subsidiary, but uh, I'm quite interested in who their client mix was because uh, it's certainly ominous if, if we do find that much of the clients of EOH Mtombo happen to be in the public sector in this context of all manner of commissions looking at uh, all forms of capture. You, you've, uh, you've hit it in the nail. Um, EOH Mtombo exclusively um, rendering the services to the public sector. And um, in fact, about just under two hours ago, I caught a tail end of the um, of a radio interview with uh, um, with the with the CEO, where um, he happened to share information which I think I missed in the morning when we had a telecon, or rather, there was a a, a telecon where um, he elaborated that um, of the eight individuals um, who were identified by ENS Africa, who mm. you know who was appointed last year is that legal action or legal proceedings have started. Right? And also, um, they will also try and see if they can recover um, these money. Right? So um, it, it, really is, it really is bad reputation, one, for a black-owned company. Mm. Right? And also, the, the, the fact that, unfortunately, the narrative which, um, you know, which comes out, if you're dealing with the public sector or with government, they have to be kicked back somewhere. Mm. Uh, for you to, you know, to, to get a certain um, contract or service, you know, to government, which, again, as I've said, you know, from, from, from a black company point of view, um, all of us, we almost entirely rely on government mm. in, terms of, uh, in terms of support, right? And if this is the precedent or if this is the, the you know, the, the, let's, let's call it, you know, what you would need to do right, in order for you to, to, to get business from, from government, it, it really is going to destroy a lot of reputations. It really yeah. is going to destroy a lot of people. Right? And, um, and like I said, from an mm. EOH point of view, 
uh, shareholders' um, value um, has been unfortunately um, depleted yeah. um, to you know to almost to the core because the share price today it did open about 11 percent down, mm. but after that um, after that uh, telecom that uh, that we had with the with the CEO not. Not I, Pinda, married head. You know, as you know, as the general market. No, no, um, we know, uh, Pinda. We know, but Nyateta, no Stephen Van Kola. I mean, Gaban B. And Gaga Figuere. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, so basically, what they've done is, um, I mean, like, the, this uh, EOH Mtombo, the way it has cost the company. Um, when uh, Van Kola was brought in to to restructure the company, what they've done is they. Um, sort of like then absorbed uh, EOH Tombo into mm. now EOH Next Tech. Right? And that particular exercise, um, as to the financial statement of 2018, um, cost the company, I think, to the tune of $379 million. Mm. Right? And now you fast forward to these um, um, irregular uh, what, um, funds that they, yeah. they, they've been found, 1.2 billion rand. Uh, that's even more costlier for the company. Mm. But what was, what was perhaps surprise or rather um, a, a welcome um, sort of development from the company mm. the fact that some of the steps that they put in uh, since um, since they have uh, they, they started this probe uh, is these have been um, positively received by the market mm. um, to a point that the company is in fact confident that they can actually get the Microsoft contract back. Yeah. Right. And I mean, like that, that then says quite a lot in terms of the mm. new strategy, in so, terms of the restructured company. So, yeah, so Pinda, I think many of the shareholders would uh, certainly uh, be delighted with that news that uh, some of the reforms underway within the company uh, can potentially ensure that they get the Microsoft contract back. I am surprised that, um, you know, um, just a day after we saw Zunaid Mayat, Rob Godlin, and Nopuma Zapam resigning from their roles as executives in this company. We see Stephen Van Kola coming out and saying, I know who took money. I know who has to pay back the money. Uh, Surely, Antibansi, one and one, and I'm getting three here when I say uh, it stands to reason that these three folk in some form or the other were either uh, involved in this or were, I guess, by their... Uh, or, or were found, I guess, to be neglectful in their roles and probably sleeping at the wheel, and that's why they uh, ended up resigning. And uh, the companies come out and said these people weren't involved in this corruption. But uh, are we to believe that? Um, I tell you what, <laughs> let's let's perhaps have that question maybe two three months down the line if mm. we get more details. Because from a company's um, announcement point of view, um, is that these three executives. Um, they they were they, they sort of like took the high ground where all of this um, irregularities was happening right underneath their nose, even though the companies they were not involved. Uh, so to see a, a a proper implementation of the new strategy uh, and also seeing the company growing, you know, hips and bounds going forward. So they felt the need that you you know what let's then give the new team which is. Uh, which has just been brought in, uh, you know, the, a chance to, to, to take the ship forward uh, without the old blood who, whether we like it or not, you know, one or two things can come out that mm. you guys were there, like when the 1.2 billion rand was uh, or, or, or disappeared from the company's, um, company's book. So I'm, I'm, for now, as it stands for me, I'm, I'm actually going with the company's announcement unless something else comes out of that. Uh, because in as far as the resignations last night, um, I haven't seen anything from either of the three executives in terms of either 
um, rebutting what the company has said or said um, late last night or early this morning or throughout the day. Uh, as I've said, um, we we might get further details, mm. uh, but let's uh, let, let's wait and see what happens. Okay. Masishi Apopinda, always a pleasure, my brother, to catch up with you. And, of course, I wish you all the best. And I know you'll keep us, uh, uh, I guess, uh, tuned in when it comes to that particular story. It's uh, certainly not the end of uh, the cleanup underway there by Stephen Van Koller at uh, EOH. And, uh, Pinda, we'll have to leave it there. That there was Pinda Mangolotti, Head of Trading at uh, Merit Security, speaking to us this evening as part of our uh, business wrap.